friend. Today's guest is of presidential quality, of presidential <laughs> standards, of highest level ranks in the brilliance of mankind. It is my husband, actually. <laughs> and he has written a book about a reason for hope is what it's called. And it is about how to live life as a Christian, not bound by sin or the things. And I can't do it justice to explain it. I'm going to let him do the explaining. So stick around. Don't forget, think of a friend you could share this episode with, especially if you know my husband, because we're all very excited for him and his new book. So let's roll that intro music. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Many of y'all have asked these questions of yourself and when life is difficult. Can I trust God? Will he take care of me? Does he actually care? And at the bottom of these questions really is our heart looking for a reason to have hope in this life when hardship comes or just every day, you know, like a sense of purpose. And so these are some of the questions that my husband tackles in his book, A Reason for Hope. So please welcome my husband back. He's been on a few episodes already. Hi, babe. Hey, hey. And you guys know him as the chattiest man on earth, so... Very chatty. (laughs) We're going to drag some conversation out of him. Um, Okay, so Stephen, before we jump into some of the rich content of your book, um, when did you start writing this and why did you begin this book on this topic? Um, I think I started writing a little bit toward the end of last year. Um, And I started writing because uh, I was finishing up my my degree plan, my doctorate and my dissertation was on the book of Galatians. So that's how it began, um, the thesis for it. And then over time, just writing it, I shifted to, I wanted to write something for my kids, for our kids to have, to say, look at and read and kind of get an idea of why we follow Jesus. And of course, I'm not saying it's in any way equivalent to, but I think every generation needs tools to kind of... Um, perceive, understand the gospel kind of in their own language and their own perception. Mm. Not that there's any new questions, but just um, different ways of looking at the message of Jesus in every generation. And so there's always books, tools that, that I feel like help with that. Mm-hmm. And I like C.S. Lewis, his generation, that had the book Mere Christianity. Uh, Dallas Willard, his book Divine Conspiracy, and of course many more books that just repackage the gospel and so I wanted to kind of have something along those lines just for our kids to kind of read and understand this is the story of our parents and this is why they follow Jesus and mm. the reason for the hope that they have. That's so good. So um, I happen to know that one of your kids helped to edit your book. He did. <laughs> <laughs> Who was this? Benjamin. Yep. <laughs> he read the first chapter and edited it. <laughs> he did. Did he give you feedback on it? Uh, he did. I don't remember exactly, but I think he liked it. He was impressed with your stories, right? Yeah. I know. <laughs> the boys, my, our, our fourth youngest the other day was telling me about a dream he had had where in the dream he was on the missions field with his daddy. Uh, 
and his daddy prayed over this lady and she was healed and set free and Shiloh woke up and he, he said he woke up at 4 a.m. So the next morning when he came out for school, he sat on the couch and he goes, Mom, I think God is calling me to be a missionary in South America or that's where he wants me to start. <laughs> and I said, really? Why do you think this? So he tells me, you know, I don't know. It's just been coming up in my mind. But then later in the day, I was talking about my first missions trip and miracles that happened there. And he remembered his mm-hmm. dream. And he was like, oh. And I loved that he said, I said, so do you think that one day you'll be on a trip with daddy and, and pray with people like him? And he goes, or maybe that dream was a vision. And when I'm grown up, I'll kind of look like dad and <laughs> I'll be able to do that. And I was That's like, good. I just love that. And so um, I think it, I think it's huge. Like, I love that you're thinking about writing down and creating a story, a legacy to leave to the kids because that really is going to, your voice is going to carry beyond the grave when you Mm -hmm. do that, you know, and I hope to do that as well um, one of these days, but we'll let you lead. We'll let you have the first (laughs) win. (laughs) I'll just have the next 10. There you go. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, so for the average believer who's not your child, um, what would you say, like, was your life impacted by writing this book? Like what, I mean, I know you wanted to write it with the boys in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, You were doing it for your dissertation. You kind of wrote it real academic, and then you've rewritten it to be more relevant to the reader, right? Right, right. I think it started with uh, the first concept, and originally was a passage out of 1 Peter 3, which I think a lot of people know. It says, always be ready to give an answer for everyone who asks for the reason reason for the hope that you have. And it's a very unique um, passage because a lot of times people use that text to speak of apologetics, always be ready to give an answer, that word apologia. Um, but the second part of that verse is always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have. And the word there, reason for hope, at the title of the book, literally means a narrative account for the hope that you have. And so the That's context true. is, the, yeah, like a story. So the context is everyone has a story behind why they believe what they believe. Mm. And it's not just enough to know the truth. The story behind why you believe what you believe um, really reinforces, not that truth is validated by experience alone, but many times when we experience who Jesus is in a legitimate way, in an authentic way, then it makes reasoning out or makes sense in our mind why we believe what we believe. Mm. I, think, I think I said that clearly. A lot of times our experience clarifies theological truths, and many times... Christians get a lot of theological truths and they don't have a lot of experience behind uh, what those truths are, how they apply in their lives. And so my goal was to have the theological truths kind of laid out, but then in line with that, uh, the experiences that led me to the, discovering those truths in my life and then and in the lives of, mm-hmm. of even the first century church. And so that's why I used pick, pick the uh, book of Galatians because it's the first letter written to the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And Paul is writing that letter, not to Jews, but to Gentiles. And he lays out the reason or the narrative account for the hope that we have. And he goes all the way back to Abraham and gives just an overview of this is why, not just Jesus is the Christ, but why we follow him. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're right that 
our experiences can can give uh, an experiential understanding uh-huh. of the theologies and beliefs that we have. However, uh-huh. I think a lot of people get maybe stopped at the first stop sign, which is where your faith is tested. And those mm. theologies maybe look to be inadequate for their experience. Like God said he'd provide, but I just lost my job and I haven't been able to find one in two months. Or, you know what mm. I mean? Like life challenges like that. So is this book just a story of all the pretty moments or is it a story of how you press through those challenges to finally obtain the experience of what you believed? Um, I think it's a little of both. I think, I think, is it just the pretty moments and is God faithful? If that's a question, um, if is God faithful, let's talk about that. I think if you, if you stick with it long enough, you find yes, that God's faithful, mm-hmm. but it's easy to take a small snapshot of feeling injustice and thinking, well, God's not faithful. And the whole story of our life, we have to look at a kind of panoramic view of, was God faithful? And many times you don't see his faithfulness till you or months, maybe years past the difficulty. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around and you're looking and you're like, yeah, God was faithful. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yes, that's what James James 1, 2 through 4 talks mm-hmm. about. <laughs> Consider up your joy mm-hmm. when your testing and trials makes you mature and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, so your story, you have an interesting start to your journey with the Lord. You, I mean, I think we could dive into this a bit because I think it adds a lot of richness and, and context for what you're discussing in this book. And will, I think will help my listeners understand more of who you are and where you're coming mm-hmm. from. Um, so for those of you who don't know, my husband is Indian from India, That's Indian, where they're all from. Indian from India. <laughs> uh, I grew up among Indians in North America, Native American Indians. Um, but he's from India and moved here. You moved here when you were five, mm-hmm. right? From, from Chennai, India. I'm, I'm trying to have you participate in the oh. story here. So I don't want to tell your story for you. Um, and so... When, at what point, because, I mean, I know there was some really, in India, you guys were really poor. You guys came over here, and I know your story, so I know all the beautiful, like, tapestry that the Lord wove of your lives. But it probably didn't feel like you had a whole lot of hope at certain moments Yeah, in the journey. So, kind of Sure. Well, I don't want to give away too much of the book, obviously. I want to read the book. But I think one of the the main themes in in the biographical side is just to show... It's not enough just to be force-fed theology in the sense of like, we just need to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. But there has to be a story of how you came to that experience. And so the from even a young child, you know, four or five years old, the experiences I had of just hearing God's word, experiencing God's presence, dreams, visions, kind of. And, I, and, I, and a lot of times we think those are very unique and a lot, a lot of people experience them. But the truth is, we have supernatural experiences throughout our life, but many times we discount them to be just uh, ironies or just, you know... Pizza before bed. Yeah, deja vu, or it can't be God, it's just an overactive imagination or, you know, emotionalism. And, uh, and I'm sure that that does exist to some degree, but I think, especially when you get to the innocence of childhood, God speaks a lot to children, and yeah. we don't remember that until the Holy Spirit many times awakens our memory a little bit and says... I've always been telling you this. And mm-hmm. so kind of with uh, with that in mind, kind of started in with my childhood and, and experiences I had raised in a Christian home. 
in in South India, and then how we came to the U.S. and and just in a pastor's kid, and and seriously, the pastors as a pastor's kid, kind of had a unique experience being what they called a sociologically I call a third culture kid, where a person is born from one culture, but they live in another culture, and they get the benefit of seeing both cultures at the same time as they process life. Mm-hmm. And a third culture kids uh, tend to have a unique view of life because they see it not just through the culture that they live in, but their home life uh, lets them see life through another lens. And so it's unique because the gospel... Like a broader perspective? A broader, well, not just broader, but when you read the scriptures, which are written to the Middle East, Middle Eastern people, um, there's just nuances and social indications that you know are part of your culture that aren't necessarily part of American culture. Mm. And so you can see the scriptures from a better angle. In fact, uh, Rabbi Zacharias's last book was seeing uh, Jesus through the East, you know, through the mm. eyes of the East. And it just brings some great points out, which I always felt like, man, I always knew that. And of course, the great book that he put together. Um, but so as a third culture kid, viewing Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, not as an American religion, uh, but as a Eastern religion, actually, uh, comes out a little bit also in, in the biographical part. So what was, give us an example. I, we do need some, we need some, some specifics here or else this is going to feel too <laughs> abstract. But give us an example or a story of when, when you had to, your theology was was testing if you had a reason for hope mm. and the lord eventually showed himself faithful but you had to hang on to believing that he was going to and maybe you struggled with it well you know even as a kid uh you know i was in third grade and my sister passed away uh that was a real struggle as the loss of a, a sibling is is for anybody mm. but theologically you know or in the church circles we were in we believed in healing and you know, miracles, and those did happen at times with her. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I mean, she died at age five, and so that was quite traumatic. And yet even through that process, learning that God is not, uh, that that wasn't God's doing, even uh, through the murky waters of people's, you know, catchphrases and, oh, this is all God's will, and, mm-hmm. you know, she's in a better place. I mean, those things don't bring clarity to a situation. A lot of times for the sake of one who's grieving, we don't give theological responses. A lot of times, maybe it's because we don't have any, but the truth is that that God is God even in suffering and that there's a place you can trust Him. And just working through that, not as an adult, but as a kid, learned how to really grow up uh, in a maturity sense, mature very quickly mm-hmm. in dealing with the problem of suffering, which everybody deals with the problem of suffering. Uh, unfortunately, many times... Uh, we can be handicapped emotionally if we don't process that well yeah. and uh, become bitter, become angry, or even emotionally fearful. just distant and closed and yeah. fearful. Yeah. So do you, from what I know of your story, but I mean, I don't know how much you've shared with me about this, like you were eight when that happened. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that as an eight-year-old, you had the tools to process that healthfully. And I know enough about your family to know that maybe there wasn't all the tools there that would have helped so how did you how did you come out of that like I know there were some really dark years because of that processing I think I don't think well let me say this no one is equipped for that (laughs) true no one's equipped to go through the loss of a sibling yeah Uh, however uh, 
the the silver lining is I remember having very deep um, philosophical questions and discussions internally at third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade level. So I matured very quickly. Mm. Um, and it wasn't like mature because I was angry or bitter, but just when death hits that close to home, you begin to start thinking things. You uh, ask heavier questions. You ask really heavy questions. And the irony of it is, you know, even when I read like the philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche and or G.K. Chesterton, but two sides of the spectrum, death was one of the first things that they really contended with. Like as kids, when they the concept of, of dying really brought a sense of eternity, mm. not necessarily depression or, you know, dismalness, but just that we're temporal beings, you know, mm. and so it brings you to a place of maturity very quickly. And, and I think the benefit of that, I mean, not that we want all kids to become philosophers, <laughs> but sometimes God used what the enemy, uh, used what the enemy intended for evil to really get me to a place of, of thinking. I remember even as a kid taking hours at a time, just sitting by myself, thinking through realities of life like mm. what is life like what is what is death and suffering and if, you know the the proverbial question or the usual question everybody asks if there's an all-powerful god mm. all if god's all-powerful and all-loving then why is there suffering and why is there pain in the world and then mm. of course the answer to that is because people have such a great free will mm. and uh anyway all that to say i feel like the lord really gave me a um a strong foundation of processing, thinking things through out of the darkness of the loss of a sibling, you know, the loss of a sister. But what was that foundation? I mean, like, that, I don't feel like he answered the question. Well, I think, you know, as a kid, my parents put the word, uh, taught me to memorize, read, study the scriptures. Mm. And so that became my default response. Like, I knew who God was. So, and and on, on the back, I'll say this, on the skeleton of or the or the structure of I knew the scriptures I learned them very rigorously I mean we memorized chapters of the Bible at a time Mm. and then on top of that I had personal encounters with the Lord very regularly as a kid Mm. and so I don't think that's unique I think that's available to every believer and that's part of the book as you get toward the toward the middle of the book where our relationship with God should be one of great experience and not just intellectual ascent Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So your foundation in your family of being oriented from the word of God gave you that sense of foundation to mm-hmm. process those heavier, weightier questions. Because, I mean, did your parents sit and talk with you through that stuff? I don't know if it was so much discussion. And I mean, I'm sure they did, but I think it was probably more of just this is what to believe in spite of how you feel. And then slowly over time, your feelings begin to align with what you believe. And uh, may not be the best process, but I think it works, you know, yeah. where you get the truth in you long enough and then things start connecting. You know, it's, I mean, we do that all the time with other yeah. disciplines, repetition, whether we understand it or not. You, you see a math problem, you learn the formula, you just keep doing it over and over. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it clicks like what's really the dynamics that are happening in this equation. And uh, now I know that I know that you you had some really dark years. From what, like around then until you were like 16, mm-hmm. 8 to 16. And and I don't know that it was all because of Peace's death, but w- did you, be, even though you were having encounters with God, even though you had a foundation of scripture, you had some really dark years. And mm. then there was a moment when God stepped into your life and just mm. 
flip the switch for you. Yeah. And so like, how is it, I guess there's two questions. How is it that you could live so many dark years while still having encounters with the Lord and walking with him mm-hmm. and knowing his voice? And then what made those encounters different than the one where the flip, the switch got flipped for you? You know, I think for a believer, and this is, it's, you know, it's very thin ice to walk on. I think once someone decides to follow the Lord, make a commitment like I did at you know, five years old, six years old, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's residence inside the believer, it's eternal life. Like he doesn't go away. Yeah. And so even if, if it on the outside looks like, well, that's not a believer or the Spirit of God's work is very dormant in their life, the Holy Spirit is always still speaking. He's mm-hmm. still working. He's still, the Bible says that we are sealed with the, whole, with the Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. So that's, that's the, the reason for the hope that we have. Like once we have faith and we believe on the Lord Jesus, God takes a residence in us. And so he doesn't, uh, that residence of his Spirit in us is not negotiated by behavior or many times even the lack of faith. So chapter three in the book, I talk about you know, we look at Abraham as the father of faith. Or, or, let me rephrase that. The book of Hebrews speaks of Abraham. It says he staggered not at the promise. Well, it's a very eloquent thing to say, but then you look at Abraham's life. He really did stagger. Yeah, he did stagger. <laughs> he did. He was like, God, I need a son. How about I use my servant, Eleazar, make him the heir? And then God was like, no. And then... He had Ishmael, and he's like, how about, I actually asked about Eliezer twice, and then he asked about Ishmael, what about Ishmael? He can be the promised one. And then finally, Isaac comes along. Mm-hmm. And, and even before Isaac comes, he's, he's just staggering at the promise, like going back and forth, well, maybe this way, maybe this way. And, I mean, you'd have to look a little bit more intently at what it means staggering at the promise. It, it doesn't mean that he doubted God, but he just was always like not certain, which may be the same thing, not certain of how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yet when, in retrospect, when the writer of Hebrews looks at Abraham, they speak of his faith because even in the moments, little snapshots, the windows of disbelief, you have a lifetime of him saying, I believe. He kept going back to the promise. Yeah, he kept going back to the promise. He kept going to God and God made covenant with him and then he kept going back to that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much that, you know... Um, it's not so much that, you know, Abraham had it all figured out from the first time God spoke to him. Right. He was seated inside of him. God put inside of him this righteous nature because he just believed who God was. That's what the scripture says. Right. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him to have righteousness. And it's a picture of what salvation is. We believe God and God puts into us his righteousness. And when he puts into us his righteousness, that's the resident Holy Spirit inside of us. Mm-hmm. And because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, the nature that we have just like Abraham, slowly was changed from a, a vagabond, uh, you know, caravanning uh, tradesman who really had a problem with honesty, really had a problem hanging on to his wife, really had a problem, <laughs> you know, with his anger at some times, really had a problem with a lot of things, doubting God. Mm-hmm. Over time, there was this transformation in Abraham's life. Well, why did it take Abraham, you know, 25-something years from the time or more from the time of the promise mm-hmm. to the prime of time of fulfillment, well, God was changing who Abraham was. He was mm-hmm. changing him from Abraham, the, you know, visionary, you know, merchant to a father of nations. And then you see that uh, outward manifestation of that in the, the change of Abraham's name. And exactly, I kind of go into details of like what that looked like in the Hebrew text and, and what it means, like God literally infused into Abraham 
the nature of grace, and that's what changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty exciting little chapter there. So, oh, so you're so in that you're really calling out more of a contextual look at how faith is attributed through a contextual lens, not a microscopic lens. Yep. Where instead of because like sometimes I think we as believers we we waver in our faithfulness to the Lord when mm-hmm. we have a microscopic look at our situation and it's like I'm looking here and now at this one moment in time and I don't see God answering today Mm. and so is God really faithful but then when you look at it over the course of years you can see panoramic like you mentioned that God did show up he didn't show up on my time frame he didn't show up the way I expected but he indeed did show Mm -hmm. up the way that was necessary and I like how you're, what you're describing then is that that's how the Lord looks at our life as well, yeah. which really eliminates and brings in the hope because it eliminates the sense of failure and condemnation yeah. over momentary failure because God is looking for that lifelong journey of faithfulness mm-hmm. with us. Well, and even that, you speak of condemnation because that's a big thing that I hit. It's like we feel condemned when we don't believe that we're righteous. Mm-hmm. and. The, there's two parts of, of salvation or two dynamics that happen at the same time. The moment you believe on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of you. It's an immediate sanctification. You become or you are made immediately righteous, just mm-hmm. like Jesus was made sin for us. We were made righteous. Mm-hmm. It only took Jesus a moment to be made sin. Mm-hmm. It only takes us a moment to be made righteous. That's what First Corinthians it says, and he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. And we can't, if we look at that parallel, Jesus didn't take a lifetime to become sin for us. Right. It happened in a moment. True. So for us to attribute that it takes a lifetime for us to become righteous is really diminishing the work of grace, like diminishing the work of the atonement. So we're immediately made righteous. The battle for the Christian life, or why do Christians struggle with sin, is because they believe a lie for so long that they're not righteous and they're working to try to act righteous. They're trying to act like something they already are because they believe the lie that they're not righteous. They're trying to disprove it to themselves. Right. And so that's what makes the, the, the gospel good news is like you're righteous from the day that you began to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the progressive work of salvation is your mind catching up to what's happened already in your spirit. Your soul and your emotions catching up to the fact that to believe that you're really righteous. And that's what was Abraham's struggle. Mm-hmm. He had to believe God and it, then it was accounted to him for the righteous nature. And and we've heard a lot of probably messages about what righteousness is, but it literally means the DNA or the identity of God was stuck inside of us. Hmm. And when God's identity is put in us, we can't help but be righteous. Like, so when a believer or someone comes to follow Jesus, before they made their decision to follow, they didn't have a desire to please God. They actually probably had a fear of God or a disdain for God from what the scriptures tells us. It says the carnal man is enmity against God. And so we have a resistance to godliness. Mm. But then you become born again, and all of a sudden you want to please God out of nowhere. you yeah, know. Yeah. And what is that? That's the righteous nature that's been put inside of you. You want to please God because mm. you identify with him as a father. You identify with him as this is the one I want to be like. Mm. And so that's what the, that is seated inside of us from the day of your salvation. A lot of people, even though that's seated inside them, then they start believing the lie that, well, I'm still bound to sin or I'm still... You know, that's a big argument. You know, can Christians live sin-free? Mm. Well, if Christians can't live sin-free, then... If Christians can't live sin-free, then 
how powerful was the atonement? You right. know, did Christ not deliver us from the curse of the law? Right. Did he not set us free from sin? Is, is whom the sun sets free really not free? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, we have to ask those questions. And the truth is, they're simple questions and they have simple answers, but they have a complicated execution. response, <laughs> execution of we really have to believe Man, I'm really righteous in well, spite of how I feel or what I think. And I don't know that it's complicated. I think it just requires regular mm. attendance. Like yeah. we regularly have to attend to the lies that we begin to believe. Right. And I talk about that in the chapter about how to get to a place of establishing the righteous nature, a righteous identity in your thought life. Mm-hmm. Because that's really where the battle is, is right between your ears. Like if you don't regularly practice telling yourself who you are in Christ, mm-hmm. And you're hearing God's word and believing, you know, scriptures that says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you don't regularly hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, like feeding yourself the truth, then the light will slowly creep in. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's the second law of thermodynamics. If you just let stuff sit, it will rot. And a lot of Christians do that. They come to find Jesus, they're, they're made new, and then they just let their spirituality just sit. They go to church. They do this, they do all the formalities, but they're not being changed. Mm. They're not believing anymore. They just believe in salvation, and then that's it. They don't believe that they're getting, that the, the, the righteousness they have is a progressive thing, that they can experience a newness every day, you mm. know. And so, over well, and time. That, and that newness, too, to not be too abstract, that newness and that mm-hmm. growth being encountering Jesus as your friend, encountering yep. Jesus as your lover as your husband as your savior mm-hmm. on a personal level and mm-hmm. going to the word of god and asking your questions of the lord and him walking mm-hmm. you to the answers in scripture or him speaking to you in the quiet or like my son who had a dream and feels like mm-hmm. god is speaking to him about his future like those moments are 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 part of that mm-hmm. growth in the lord and and deepening that yeah. walk with him yeah. so that's not just formalities yeah that's good that is really good um, so obviously you don't want to give away too much of the book, but when does your book come out? Uh, I don't have a date yet, but I'm hoping within the next month or so. I'm on the final edits of it. I'm waiting on my editor to get back to me the last few chapters. And then we have a book cover already picked out. It's ready to get published And soon, it looks so. very nice. And so it'll be coming soon. Good. Okay. So if you guys want to hear more, I will actually have Stephen on here again um, to talk about maybe a, a different angle of the book or different aspects of it. But if you're interested in getting on the wait list um, or the pre-order list or whatever, you can sign up for his email. Um, his email list. If you just, you can shoot well. Let's see. What's the best way to say that? Um, Should I send them to your Instagram? Sure. Okay, actually, why don't you guys go follow him on Instagram, and you can find him, what is it, Stephen Missions? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. (laughs) We should probably know. Stephen with a PH. Stephen Missions, can you look it up? Pull up Instagram real quick. Yep. And if you go follow him on Instagram, he'll be giving you updates um, down here. Your Stephen Missions. Okay, so he's Stephen Missions on Instagram, and then you'll you'll see his little smiling Indian face in his profile picture. And you can follow him, and he'll give regular, or we will give regular updates on his Instagram. There's a link in his bio on there that will also take you to his mailing list so that you could sign up and find out through your email 
when um, pre-orders are available and, and just the process because this will be the first of many books. And so I'm excited for you, babe. Mm -hmm. When did you know you wanted to write books? Uh, I'm not sure I can tell you exactly when that happened. Just a lot of reading and studying and eventually you've got to tell people stuff. You eventually got to tell people stuff. It's true. I wanted to. I've wanted to write books since I was a kid. So I'm very excited for him because he's living out a dream in my heart. I just <laughs> haven't had the diligence <laughs> that he has had. Of course, you were trying to get your doctorates too. So there's a little, little motivation there. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. Well, he did get his doctorates, by the way. So sure he's did. he's got some knowledge under the under the hood. So all right. Well, thanks, babe, for joining me. It's been fun. And sharing with my listeners. That was good stuff, rich stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, see, you need to tell me these things all the time, every day of my life. <laughs> tell me these deep, deep, profound deep. things. It takes a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. This was a shorter episode, but uh, stay tuned. We have a great life hack for you coming in just a second. Okay, so for today's life hack, we're going to share with you guys this, guys this very simple thing we actually do with our kids uh -huh. to help teach them how to read the word and draw out understanding about God uh -huh. and an application and stuff. So babe, what is this what is this process that you've introduced the boys to and explain it simply? Okay. Uh it's basically we use the Discovery Bible study method and you can check it out at dbs discovery bible study dbsguide.org mm -hmm. and it's a real simple it gives us it gives you like 30 something passages and begins in genesis goes all the way through uh the new testament and it talks about man the fall the reason for sacrifice the uh, reason for redemption and then it introduces the gospels and so it's just 30 small passages that you can read with your kids and then in that website, it also tells you kind of a format of like, you know, we pray with our kids before we start. We read this passage. And they're not lengthy passages. Mm -hmm. And then after that, kind of let them kind of ask questions and then kind of hear like, what does this passage say about God? What does it say about people? How can we apply it in our lives? And sometimes we go down every question and sometimes we just let the kids Naturally. ask all the questions, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's always... We don't always have the answer. Sometimes we let them kind of just talk it out until the Holy Spirit kind of gives them some insight. And uh, that's a great strategy. <laughs> that sounded very loose. No, but that's true. We read a passage, and then the three questions that we ask is, what does this tell you about God, uh -huh. right? What does this right. tell you about you? About people. About people. Uh -huh. And how can you apply this to your life? Uh -huh. And so it's really, really simple. And, and what we do is we really try to, like the boys, sometimes they'll say something that's very like full of assumption or presumption, or like they're pulling in information they heard from someone somewhere else. Right. And so we'll continue to point them back. We'll be like, well, does, is that what this passage says? And we'll try to keep, like, keep pointing them back to the scripture so mm -hmm. that they kind of learn to discern the difference between, oh, this is just stuff I've picked up along the way or this is what the Bible's actually saying. Yeah. And I think that's been valuable. That just mm -hmm. that little tiny thing right there it kind of divides for them and teaches yeah. them some discernment. But um yeah, we've had some really interesting questions. We have. It's, it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's brought up some funny things. 
Um, but they've asked some of the stuff they pull out. I'm like, dude, where'd you guys learn all this mm-hmm. from? They pick up stuff that we don't realize they pick up. And then they misquote me half the time. They're like, <laughs> mom said that Jesus died even for Martians from Mars. And I'm like, what the crap? Where'd you get this stuff? So yeah, yeah. Pay close attention to what they're saying and what they're learning. But anyways, so that's what we do. It's a really simple way to yep. teach your kids to draw principles draw truth and draw god's heart out of scripture and uh and so and that's dbs.com uh dbsguide.com.org dbsguide.org db d as in discipleship bible study Mm -hmm. dbs discovery bible study oh discovery bible study dbsguide.org so if you want to do that with your kids it's on there so all right you guys thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode bye Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.